Well, what we're doing is we're in a study called Biography, and so we've been looking at different characters uh, in the Bible. Uh, we uh, had planned to look at Samuel for one week. Let me go ahead and give you a heads up. We're going to do it for four weeks. Uh, uh, I just have gotten so caught up in Samuel and, and what happened in his, in, in his life and how God moved and how, by the way, how personal uh, uh, God was with him and, and how he became someone who really spoke for God in amazing ways. But as we think about that, I want to ask you to think this through. When you think of your life and you look at a guy like Samuel who actually heard the voice of the Lord, uh, we're going to look at this next week. We're going to spend all next week on Samuel's call and him hearing the voice of God. And what happened is God spoke to him and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel jumped up and ran to Eli and said, here I am. And Eli said, well, what are you doing? I didn't call you. And he went back again and laid there and the Lord said, Samuel. And he jumped up and ran again. And Eli said, you know what? I think it's the Lord. And I want you to say these words the next time you hear that voice. I want you to say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening, speak. Well, I, I want you to think that through uh, about what that means to you and me. There's a movie, and I think it's going to go real quick, so you'll have to pay attention, uh, called The Island. And in the movie The Island, there's a group of people who have been cloned, and they've been kept in a kind of a, a very laboratory-type society, but they've been lied to. They, they don't know what life is like outside of there. They don't know what it's like to really live. And, and this guy and girl are beginning to discover things they weren't ever meant to wrestle through or discover. And uh, in the area of God, I, I want you to kind of catch this, see if we can grab it real quick. What's God? Well, you know, when you want something really bad and you close your eyes and you wish for it, God's the guy that ignores you. Oh, right. <laughs> the guy who ignores you. Yeah. Now, now I want you to think about that because I want to say this, uh, and I've talked about it before. To a lot of people, God is really like Santa Claus. He's more of Santa. And the idea behind that is that he's the one you ask for things and you never get them. Uh, and when we talk about experiencing God, really having an amazing relationship with him where, where he leads and guides and, and communicates with us, um, and I want to be honest and say this. I'm not talking about it being easy. I think communicating is difficult, period. And then us to God and God to us. And how do we grab hold of all that? But the idea is we're supposed to. Psalm 66, verses 18 and 19 says this. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So, you know, clearly God said, all right, if you've got a, a wickedness issue going on, I'm just not going to listen to you. We're not going to communicate well. But listen to what the psalmist says in the next verse. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Now, now my point is this. God wants you and I to have such a relationship with him that we actually, beyond a shadow of a doubt, go, I know he hears me. I know that we have this relationship. Samuel, you're going to see in a moment. Why are we talking about that with him? Samuel has this amazing relationship with God. Uh, and, and he knows God hears. And he talks with God and shares with God. And, and, and it's intimate and incredible. And I really believe one reason God put that in the scriptures beyond some others is God put these kind of stories for us so we could learn what life is supposed to be like with him. How we're supposed to live it. It's not like there's one Samuel out there uh, uh, and, and, and who has these experiences and we can kind of watch and wish. Uh, Charles Spurgeon felt that way. Uh, he thought there's got to be more and, and he concerned that very often we don't get it. Uh, Spurgeon was talking about Psalm 103 verse 2 where it says, forget not all his benefits. Forget not all the benefits of the Lord. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. He said, it is a delightful and profitable occupation to mark the hand of God in the lives of ancient saints and to observe his goodness in delivering them, his mercy in pardoning them, and his faithfulness in keeping his covenant with them. But would it not be even more interesting and profitable for us to remark the hand of God in our own lives? Ought we not look upon our own history as being at least as full of God, as full of his goodness, of his truth, as much a proof of his faithfulness and veracity as the lives of any saints who have gone before? We do our Lord an injustice when we suppose that he wrought all his mighty acts and showed himself strong for those in early times, but doth not perform wonders or lay bare his arm for the saints who are now upon the earth. Let us review our own lives. Surely in these we may discover some happy incidents, refreshing to ourselves and glorifying to God, 
Have you had no deliverances? Have you passed through no rivers supported by the divine presence? Have you walked through no fires unharmed? Have you had no manifestations? Have you had no choice favors? The God who gave Solomon the desire of his heart, hath he never listened to you and answered your request? The God of lavish bounty, of whom David sang, quote, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, hath he never satiated you with fatness? Have you never been made to lie down in green pastures? Have you been, never been led beside still waters? Surely the goodness of God has been the same to us as the saints of old. Let us then weave his mercies into a song. Let us take the pure gold of thankfulness and the jewels of praise and make them into another crown for the head of Jesus. Let our souls give forth music as sweet and as exhilarating as came from David's harp while we praise the Lord whose mercy, mercy truly endureth forever. Now, now, what Spurgeon said, and if you haven't caught it, he said, we need to study these things and be excited. But he said, is it even more exciting when you turn around and see these things happening in our lives? And, and that's what I want you to think about as we study Samuel and we think about him. Psalm 107 verse 43 says this, who is wise? And I want to stop, have you think about this. Who is the wise person? It says, let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, what is Psalm 107 talking about? That God does certain things and intercedes in people's lives. That God gets involved in you and who you are and your thoughts. That God answers your requests. That God meets your needs. That God wins victories for you. He says, who's the wise person? Let him consider this is who God is. And he does do this for you. He's not the one that when you shut your eyes and you make your request, he ignores you. He's the one who desires to answer your prayers, desires an intimate relationship, desires to do amazing things. And God is as active today as he has ever been. And it's not just about reading about him and what he does. It's about experiencing it in our lives. That's God's great desire. And when we look at Samuel, we see uh, some people that become very important to his story. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Now there was a certain man from Ramoth Zophim who was... And the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkna, and the son of Jehoram, the son of Eliu, the son of Tuai, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up to the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkna uh, sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord closed her room. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. She would, she, so she wept and she would not eat. And then Elkna, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better than ten sons? Now what do you have here is a woman who desperately wants to have a child. And uh, her husband has another wife, which, by the way, we won't get into the whole issue of that tonight. But I want you to catch what's happening. The one wife is able to have children and the other is not. And in those days and time, that was considered literally a curse upon someone. When they would see a woman who was childless, they would ask, why does God not love her? Why does God not move in her life? But I want to say this, even in our day and time, I've watched couples wrestle this through. I've watched couples sit and say, why? Why can't we have a child? Why has God never done this for me? And and then maybe one of the hardest days for them is one of their friends get pregnant or another person gets pregnant and, and, and they begin to wonder, God, what's going on? And uh, God does want to answer. God does want to initiate. God does want to do things. And, and so what happens is Elkna comes to her and says, he goes, haven't I been better than, than 10 sons? And uh, Elkna's learning what we've all learned who are husbands. Sometimes being a loving husband's just not enough. And, and I want to kind of really throw that out. A loving wife sometimes is just not enough. God has created us to have amazing friendships, amazing romantic relationships, and yet we need to understand no one person is ever going to be enough. 
And, and at times we need something beyond that. We need the Lord. And he would love to fix it. He would love to say, let my love take away the hurt and pain. But Hannah is dying inside because she wants to have a child so badly. Uh, some friends of mine and Pam's uh, live over in Eastvale. Uh, Donnie and Holly um, are just this amazing couple. Uh, uh, they have a heart for God. They're, uh, uh, they do photography. They teach school. They do great ministry. Uh, I mean, you couldn't meet a, a more incredible couple. And uh, one time after church, I was talking with them uh, when I was at CCV, and, and all of a sudden, I just watch her start to quiver, and I see the emotion build. And I said, well, I, I think I'm missing something here. And she looked and said, I, we've been trying and trying and trying to have a child. And uh, the doctor said, there's just no hope. There's no way. Even the most extreme kinds of uh, procedures won't help us. And I said, well, have you thought about having the elders anoint and pray over you? And uh, she said, no. And I said, well, you know what? You, you gotta, the Bible says you have to ask. But I, I've watched God do things. And I'm telling you, you know, I don't want to set you up for heartache. If this is God's will, it's God's will. But let's go to God about it. Let's ask God. Let's throw ourselves upon him and, and ask him to move. And so uh, they, they said, you know what? We want to do that. And so uh, at the very next elders meeting, they showed up. And, and um, man, I got to tell you, some of the most incredible times in my life is when the elders gather around someone and anoint them with oil and pray over them. And this night, um, she's sitting there and and he's sitting next to her, and you could just see how much that Donnie loved her. You could see how, though, no matter how much he loved her, just Holly desperately wanted a child. And so we anointed him with oil, and we laid hands and prayed. And uh, they, they left, and, and they trusted God, and yet nothing occurred. Well, they came back later, and we anointed and prayed again. And we said, Lord, you know, we're going to keep knocking on the door of heaven. We're going to believe, God, that you're the one who gives life like this. Please, God, move. And we prayed and prayed and prayed over them, and, and they went away. Pam and I happened to be at the Comp USA before it closed over in Victoria Gardens. And I looked around the corner, and there stood Donnie. And I walked over, and I said, hey, how you doing? And uh, he turned and looked at me. I could see his eyes were red. He said, uh, I ran an errand here while Holly went to a doctor visit and she just called me. I, he said, I'm just kind of wandering around. The doctor got very, very firm that she would never, ever, ever get pregnant. That she needed to give this up. It just wasn't going to happen. There was no possible way. And uh, I said, man, you know what? I, I'm not telling you just to to set you up, but you know, we got to keep praying. And if you believe in God, this is maybe the very thing God wanted to be said so he could do something. And he goes, okay. And Pam walked over and we're talking with him. I said, let's just pray right now about it. And so we stood there in CompUSA praying. Well, he left and I, I think he honestly felt some, at least peace. And uh, I'll never forget, it was when I was at CCB still, we were doing Easter services at Irwindale Speedway. And uh, they had talked me into going up into the starters tower and preaching from there. And uh, so I'm up way high, and that thing's rocking, and I get done preaching. And uh, it was a great day. I come down, and I'm kind of standing around just taking in the moment. And all of a sudden, they walk up to me, and her family's all standing there. And she said, okay, everybody's here. Are you ready? And she goes, Chuck, I wanted to tell you in front of all these guys, and they're all looking. She said, I'm pregnant. And her family's like, what? And she goes, I wanted to announce it on Easter Sunday with everybody here. God did it. And uh, you know what? She ended up uh, about eight and a half months after that giving birth to a beautiful, beautiful child whom the doctor said would not come. Now, Hannah is just going to beg God for a child, and God does that. God moves, and yet year after year, she's gone through the disappointment. Year after year, she's gone through the pain. And notice what happens starting at verse 9. Then Hannah arose after eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And notice verse 10. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Now, I want you to grab that. She is greatly distressed, and yet she's praying to God. And what I want you to grab is there's a passion to her prayer. There's a, a movement here where she's just let this build and let this build. And she's come before God and say, why? Lord, I, I, I just can't stand this anymore. Verse 11, and she made a vow and said to the O Lord of hosts, 
if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come upon his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Now, the word continued is she kept multiplying the prayer. She kept repeating the prayer. She kept begging more and more. Now, I want you to grab that certain things begin to occur. Number one, she makes a vow to God. She makes the Nazarite vow to the Lord. She says, Lord, if you give me this child, I'll never put a razor on his head. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Talk about when a Nazarite is raised before the Lord or someone takes a Nazarite vow that they, they don't cut their hair any longer, uh, that they don't drink wine, that they don't partake of certain foods, that they stay away from anybody who's died, uh, that they do all these things to just remain set apart and pure to God. Uh, uh, either a period of a life or a total life devoted to the Lord. And she says, God, I'll let my, if my my child will come. He's yours completely. I won't consider myself owning him. He is going to be your child. I'll dedicate him to you. And may he even be a Nazarite before you. Now, it's interesting to me, and I don't know if it is to you, but it's interesting to me that, that this is the very same vow that the parents of Samson made. Uh, when she, his mother, Samson's mother, wasn't able to have a child, according to Judges 13, 2 to 5, uh, uh, they made a vow to God and they made a commitment to God that if God gave them a child and they didn't think they could have one, that, that, that they would raise him, totally committed to the Lord. Now, now, I think it's interesting to me because I really believe that what I was referring to in the very beginning is going on in the life of Hannah. I think Hannah was saying, I think she was so aware of the story of Samson and a, another parents that were in her very same situation, that she looked back to biblical history and go, God, you've done this before. I know you've done this before. I know you can do this. And I, I'm willing to dedicate my child in the very same way. And, and I believe she was literally referring back to a scriptural incident that had to be somewhat fresh in her mind as she's reminded that God does answer prayer. And I think her vow was born out of a faithfulness that God does act, that God does move. Uh, I think it speaks to that. The second thing is, is remember she repeated her prayer. In verse 12 it says she continued it, she multiplied it. You and I need to understand that we need to repeat prayer. Uh, uh, the idea that it's repetitious in, in, in a meaningless way is never to be what we do. We don't just you know, mumble words and just say them over and over. What we do is we passionately, with understanding and with clarity, bring the prayer request to God again and again and again. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, verse 7, where he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, I'm going to read on, but before I do, let me remind you of how we knock. You don't do this, right? Nobody knocks like that. No, when you knock, you, you repeat it. What is it that you desire from the Lord? Are you repeating it to God? God, I, I beg for this. God, I, I'm almost distressed over this. God, I, I'm knocking on the door of heaven. God, I gotta have an answer. Jesus said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, you find, knock and it'll be opened before you. And verse eight, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you? When he asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated. And this is the law and the prophets. Now, now grab what the Lord is saying here. He said, I want you to know God answers prayer. Now, clearly, he, he says, I want you to understand, though, that if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. In other words, if you're asking for something that would hurt you, uh, uh, he's not going to say yes to that. But he is going to say an answer. He is going to speak. He is going to move. And more often than not, I think the reality is, is God is ready to either say yes to what we're asking or take it beyond a level. The more we're in tune with God, the more we're going to find ourselves seeking things only he would want for us. And, and so that's what we need to do. And we need to be repeating our prayers and knocking on the door of heaven. And here's a woman who just year after year has been so disappointed. I can't have a child. I can't. And she finally said, there's only one place I can go for this, and that's God. Now I'm going to give you an opinion, and I've shared this before, and you'll probably hear me say it again. Here's my opinion. I believe sometimes God delays in answering because he just enjoys that we're talking finally to him. Now I really do. I think we're going, Lord, you know, I really, really, uh, I, I just need this new job. And God goes, oh, hey, now you're talking to me. 
And I think the Lord might go to the angels, hey, go make his job worse. So he'll pray better. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that God's going, and, and, and I think the angels are going, well, aren't you going to grant that one? And the Lord say, well, you know, after we spend some time together, you know, because he loves being with you. He loves sharing with you. And that's my opinion. I think sometimes God just goes, well, you know, right now you're really praying good, so we'll just hang in here a while. Other times, obviously, it's a timing issue. But the reality is this, is God wants to say yes. God loves to give you good gifts. Remember we saw last week that if we're going to God, we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And uh, we need to trust God in that. So we need to have the same kind of prayer life Hannah had where she comes in great passion. She comes repeating the prayer. And then notice this. Eli's going to think she's drunk. In verse 13 it says, uh, as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now, I got to say this. I, I think this again speaks to passion. He looks over and she's going at it and going at it and going at it and going at it. And, and I, he looked and thought, man, you know, she's got to be drunk to be like this. Isn't it interesting how many times people who are filled with the Holy Spirit appear drunk? Have you thought about that? Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, what happened is God had moved, the spirit had come out, and they went and looked at these guys, and they go, hey, these guys are so out there, they gotta be drunk. And here's Hannah. Well, she's so passionate, she's got to be drunk. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now notice it, it's saying, I don't want you out there getting, you know, all high and all motivated and all controlled by a substance. I want you to be moved and high and motivated and, and impassioned by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even to God the Father. Now the idea that I want you to grab hold of is, is there is certain things going on in Hannah's life that bring together God's answer. Part of it is timing. Part of it is the need has been magnified. Part of it is a, a distress that's come upon her. She's been put in a situation she can't stand anymore. And she's begging for God to give an answer and a relief to it. Part of it is the repetition. The idea she would multiply her prayers to God. And part of it, without a doubt, is passion. God loves passion. Uh, we need to grab a hold of that. Uh, I've always been intrigued by this. Um, just so you know, this week it's going to come out. We're going to actually start a blog on the website uh, that I'll be doing most of the writing of, and probably I'll be the only one to read it. It'll have a readership of one. But anyway, we, what we were thinking, what do we call this? And, and we came up with the title. We're going to call the blog In Theos. Why? The word E-N in Greek, or the beginning letters E-N in Greek, actually stand for the word in, and theos is God, so it means in God. Now, are you ready for this? Probably you already know this. Think about the word in theos. What's the first English word that pops in your mind? Hopefully it's the word enthusiasm. Because the, the, when you trace the word back, the Greek thought was this, if someone's in God, they're enthusiastic, they're impassioned, they're moved, they, they can't hold back. And, and when we're in God, that's what happens to us. It's a passion that begins to erupt inside. And so what happens is you have this amazing passion and this amazing prayer and this amazing intensity coming. And, and that's what Samuel's going to be born out of and it will really mark his life. Now notice what it says in verse 14, then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as worthless woman, for I have spoken, for I have spoken until now out of a great concern and provocation. This is deep within. This is my soul being poured out. This is everything I have. And again, the reason we got to go to this, to understand Samuel, you got to see what he was born out of and who he was born from. Verse 17, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. 
May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked from him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and she ate and her face was no longer sad. Now, now, grab what happened. She's prayed about this. She's asked for it. She has this interaction. Eli walks out and goes, you're drunk. Get out of here. She says, no. No, it's my soul being poured out to God. I, I'm in the midst of a great provocation, a great concern. I'm begging the Lord. And, and Eli said, well, go in peace. May the Lord answer your prayer. Now, by the way, did you catch that? Look back at that again. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition. Did you notice he didn't say, hey, the Lord spoke to me and said, you got it. Now, we're going to find a little more about Eli here. But, but, but catch this. He didn't go, oh, God said yes. But what does she do? She gets up and she walks away and she washes her face and she begins to eat now and she's no longer sad. You know why? She has already believed the answer has come. She believes that God's going to do it. Jesus in Mark chapter 11 verse 22, he says, when you stand praying, believe that you have received the request that you asked for. You know, that's why we say over and over that as a follower of God, it's not seeing as believing, it's believing as seeing. It's you and I understanding that we got to believe it. we got to expect it. John Wesley said this, the best synonym for the word faith in the English language is expectation. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, let's say I walked in here tonight and I'm praying that somebody I had just desperately wanted to come to know Christ would come in here tonight. So what I do is I sit over there. If I really prayed believing, I'm going to watch those doors expecting them to walk through the door. And when they walk through, I'm going to go, wow, that's what I expected. I believed it. And if they don't walk through, I should be incredibly disappointed if I really, really believed it. Uh, let's say you're a young college girl here tonight, and you pray, God, I, I just have great distress and provocation. I don't have a man in my life, and I, I want one. And you start praying about him, and you say, God, tonight I pray I'd meet him. Well, you ought to sit here looking through that door, watching for them to walk through the door. Great expectation. Don't you like that? And, uh, and, and God says that's how we ought to be living our life. Now, again, there are going to come times where you're going to go, ah, oh, it didn't happen tonight. But you don't quit. You keep praying and keep praying. And either until God gives you a yes or until God begins to show you a change uh, about something else to look for or a different way. But, but we need to have that kind of attitude. It was on a Mother's Day a few years ago. Um, and we didn't do it this year, and I wished we had it. I, I, I want to tell you I blew it. I, I typically do this. But it was a Mother's Day a few years ago, again, when I was at CCV, that what we did every single Mother's Day there, and we need to do this here, is we offered couples who wanted to have a child and weren't able to have one a time to be prayed over. And uh, because I, I, Mother's Day is an incredible day, but we know that there are women who beg for a child, and that's a difficult day. And so we would do that. And the way we did it there, and probably we'll do it here next year, is we would just ask couples, if you really desire this, would you stand off, people to gather around you and lay hands on you? We're going to pray for this. Well, what happened is uh, 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 a guy who I helped lead to Christ, Bill Crillet and his wife, had tried and tried and tried to have a child. And, and so uh, they, they, on Mother's Day, just couldn't bring themselves to go to church. It was just too painful. And they showed up that night, and Phil had forgotten we even do this. And uh, so I, I said, I, I made that statement. If you're here tonight and this is a painful day for you and you really have a heart's desire for this, would you stand right now? And it was mostly a college-age crowd, so that meant that Phil and his wife were the only two standing up. Phil didn't know his wife would stand. He went, oh, I didn't warn her. And all of a sudden he looked and she's standing. She starts to cry. People gather around. And uh, he said that as, as people prayed over them and they could hear the whispering and we just began to ask God and, and beg for God to do something, he just felt his wife start to cry and cry. But when they sat down, she looked at him and she said, I am so glad we came. He said when they walked out of church, she was a different woman. They got in the car, it was like the burden had lifted. And, uh, uh, you know, clearly God doesn't always say yes, but you need to know in their case he, he did uh, it was two months later that I got a phone call and an excited voice message. We just got back from the doctor. I didn't want to just go with that EPT thing. We had to have the doctor tells us, my wife's pregnant. And, and he was so thrilled. And today they have more than one child. Just God kept blessing. But, um, but that's what God does. And, and you know, the thing is, is we just got to trust God and we got to believe it. And notice verse 18. She doesn't know for sure what her answer is, but she goes trusting God's going to move. She goes believing in him. She goes saying, no longer will I be sad over this. I believe God has something for me. And so God moves. And then in verse 19, it says, 
Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah and his, had relations with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Do you see that? And the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of the Lord. Because I've asked of the Lord. She said, I, I, this is totally God's gift. This is something he did. Now, by the way, she's going to go ahead and fulfill her vow. Uh, I, just a quick uh, kind of parentheses moment. Uh, you need to know that when she made the vow to give Samuel over, that the law actually allowed Elkna to overrule the wife. Back in those days, if a wife made a vow and the husband said, no, 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 we're not doing this, he had the right to go before the elders and say, I didn't know about it. I'm overruling it. And, and God says at that moment, you're not bound by it. By the way, the law also said uh, if you're a girl and you're still living in your father's household and you make a vow, that your father could go and he could overrule you and, and, and then that vow would now not be held to. By the way, if you're a son and you make a vow, you're stuck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and some of you might say that seems chauvinistic. I don't know. I would rather have someone help me out. But uh, the reality is, is, is he doesn't overrule the vow. He says, you know, if this is something God did and you, we may never have another child, Hannah, but we're going to honor what God said, and I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to back you in this. And she ends up handing the child over to, to Eli and says, he's yours. Will you raise him and raise him in the ways of God and dedicate him to the service? And, and they do it. And what happens, according to chapter 2, verse 21, is that Hannah ends up being given three more sons and two daughters that God blesses her beyond measure. Now, what happens is she does fulfill her vow, and she hands him over. But what you need to understand before we, we end tonight is this. When she hands him over to Eli, she's not handing him into the best environment. Uh, Eli was actually a lousy father, and his sons were, were horrible guys. Matter of fact, look over at chapter 2, verse 12, and it says this. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. Now, if you haven't caught, man, that's horrible. I mean, these are the two priests. Eli's elderly. He's the high priest. When he dies, either Hophni or Phinehas now will become the high priest. And, and what's happened is Eli, who actually did know God, had gotten so far off and he wasn't disciplining his sons and he wasn't holding to holiness. And what happened is these guys are rising up and it says they're literally worthless men that did not know God. Can you imagine that? These are, are the leaders. These are the priests. These are the ones you go to who lead out in worship. And they did not know the Lord. And then it's going to go on to talk about they wouldn't keep the customs the way they should. Now, prior to getting to that, I want you to catch something. The word worthless is very interesting. When God says someone's worthless, you and I need to stop and go, whoa, what's going on? Here? Could you imagine God looks at somebody, hopefully not you, and he says, they are just worthless. They're worthless people. Now, now, that means it is possible to waste a life that was meant to be so much more. And I, I don't want to be mean or condescending, but let's just get honest. There are people every single day who get up in the morning living worthless lives. Lives that in the end just don't matter. I have uh, gone to families' homes uh, to do funerals, and I've said, tell me about them. And I can't tell you how heartbreaking it is when I've sat in situations where everybody looks at each other and they can't think of one good thing to say. But by the way, it's just as heartbreaking when I sit in situations and the only things they can say about them don't have any meaning whatsoever. Well, did you know this? And I'm thinking, wait, come on, you've got to give me something better than that. And um, people can be worthless. Uh, it's interesting that this word worthless, though, literally is they were sons of Belial. Now, I want you to think about that. God says when you and I do not live a life that profits... That makes us a son of Belial. And the word Belial is actually an idolatrous term. But it would have an interesting turning later on where especially the Apostle Paul would use this term of Satan. Someone who actually is a worthless person is a son of Satan. They have so misused their life. They have so not done what they should. They have so wasted who they are. And God looks and says, do you even matter? And here's what's worse. God says you don't. The fact you took up space on this earth, you've done nothing for eternity, nothing in love, nothing in touching life, and almost always it's someone who's selfish. Proverbs chapter 6, 12 says this though. It goes, a worthless person, a wicked man is. Now I want you to listen to the definition of a worthless life. It says this, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. You know, just spouting off phrases. 
By the way, I was studying this not too long ago, and I went out on the golf course, and, and I, I got matched up with some people I didn't know. And, man, after a while, I'm just listening to the words and listening to the words. I told you before, I kind of honestly get a kick out of it because then I get to tell them I'm a pastor midway through. But I'm sitting there thinking, that mouth was created to praise God. That mouth was created to build people up. That mouth was com- com- created to, 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 to bless people. And man, I was just pouring forth gutter stuff, you know. And, and I'm not sitting there going, okay, you know, I didn't go, oh, I can't stand hearing this because I'm so pure. You know, the truth of the matter, I guess I'm so sad is I get around situations all the time where it's just flowing. And you're thinking, what's going on? And God says, a person whose mouth like that, did you catch this, is a son of Satan. Uh, that, that to me is a big deal. It says a person, uh, a worthless person is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks his eye, who signals with his feet. He, he winks his eye. He says he's, he doesn't have integrity. He says one thing and then he kind of winks his eye, meaning, oh, I'm not really going to do it. Uh, 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 you know, I, I'll never forget, I don't know if it's, this rings true to any of you, Paul McCartney, after he had been arrested for using uh, drugs and especially marijuana, was being interviewed. And they said, so, now that you know, you've been convicted and you're going to go through drug treatment, are you going to stop using? And he said, oh yeah, I'll never smoke marijuana again. And then he winked as hard as he could at the camera. Meaning, and what did that mean? He goes, you know, like, I, this is a joke to me. Now, I, I, not just him, but anytime people act, they're saying one thing, they're, they're claiming one thing, and they're doing another, God says that makes your life just worthless. It has no value at that point. And, and, and the signals with the feet, the same thing. They, they say one thing, but then they're signaling, this isn't true. You don't, you don't just trust what I'm saying. Then it says he points with the finger. Whenever we point at someone, uh, God says when we sit in judgment and we're pointing someone else out, look what they are doing. Look how wrong they are. And, and we need to be careful about that. Do you ever hear the old saying, when you're pointing at someone else, three more fingers are pointing back at you? And, and God says, I don't want you doing that, always pointing out and condemning. And then it says this, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. Uh, he, he's always thinking up that evil thing to do, that wrong thing to do. And, and then he said, he spreads strife. They're going around always choosing up sides, trying to get you to be with them against someone else, trying to attack someone else. And God says when you do that, your life just has lost any measure of worth. It says, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly. He will be broken and there will be no healing. By the way, please lock that in if you're going to be with us in this study because we're going to see next week that the sons of Eli hit a place where God just says, I can't do anything with you anymore. We were created for so much more. God has never created any person who's here or anywhere to be a failure. God has created you to live a significant, victorious life. It was God's will for that be for your case. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship and created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every single one of us were created by God to do amazing things. And, and if I have not held you tonight, please don't let that one go. Right now, God looks at you and says, Oh, I want to see you do this. And I want to help you do this. And I want you to accomplish this. And he wants you to lay in bed at night going, Wow, my life. Life has mattered. I, I've done things that are incredible. I've done things that are significant. And, and God wants you to be somebody who pours into other people's lives and do things in his name that is amazing, amazing things. And, and God says, I've created you for that. And every one of us needs to look for the next thing that God's created us to do and experience because he's created our lives to have value. There may be the scariest things that says they did not know the Lord. Um, that always scares me because... You know, sometimes you get around pastors, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to point the finger, but you start wondering, okay, where's God in this? Uh, we've seen too often the proof of that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus said, and I'll declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Why are you calling me Lord? I, I don't have a clue why you would call me that. I've never known you. I've never interacted with you. you we don't know each other. And uh, you, you, we see that all the time with people. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a scary thing. How sad it is when a spiritual leader's in darkness. Um, 
I was out again. I'll, I'll tell you another golf course story. I, I was out on the golf course and, and I got matched up with this guy at Los Serranos and, and me and a friend of mine. And, and so a few holes in, man, he's cussing. And, and a few more holes, you know, he's kind of losing his temper. And he turns and makes a real off-color remark about a woman. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know, because I saw the wedding ring. And so I, I said to my friend, I go, I say, hey, man, let's pray for a chance. We're going to try to witness to him. And, and we get to one hole, and this is a true story. He, he, he mishits. He gets so mad, he throws his club. It hits the tree and bends. He breaks his golf club. And I'm looking, thinking, we better witness to this guy soon, you know. And, and so finally I looked at him and, and I thought, okay, I don't have a comfortable opening here, so I'm just going to have to go for it. And I said, hey, uh, and I won't use his real name, I'll just call him Bob. I said, hey, Bob, uh, uh, I just got to ask you a question. Uh, have you ever thought about spiritual things? And he looked at me and said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I said, you are? And he go, I go, what church? And he named the church. And we're like laughing, like, oh my gosh. You know, you just broke a golf club, you just talked about other women, you just... And, and you got to ask the question, did he know the Lord? Now, I, I don't want to be mean-spirited here, but you just got to wonder that. Um, we see people all the time get in spiritual positions who aren't spiritual. Uh, one of the saddest is Father Bruce Ritter, who founded Covenant House, and uh, uh, a Catholic priest. And it just seemed like he was doing such amazing things. Uh, but I'll never forget this. I finally got a chance to hear him. I'd watched what Covenant House had done. I'd love what they do to go into areas like New York and L.A. and places like that and seek to help homeless teenagers who are caught up in, in horrible lifestyles. And so I'll never forget this. I finally get a chance to hear him, and he speaks and he speaks, and he tells stories of rescuing kids, and I'm waiting for Jesus to be mentioned. I'm waiting for him to talk about the Lord. I'm waiting for him to, to talk about you know, and the Lord did this, or, I mean, not once does it pop up. He talked about what he had done and what Covenant House had done and, and how they had rescued these students. And, 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 and I thought, I, I, okay, I don't want to be mean or condescending, or, but come on, Jesus ought to pop up once in this, right? I mean, but you're a priest even. And uh, it never did. And uh, I kind of walked out of there already feeling a little funny and, and weird. And, of course, about many of you know, two years later, from when I heard that anyway, uh, you know that... Father Bruce Ritter was arrested. And he had taken Covenant House money and he had taken young boys and he had put them in different places and used them as his own personal sex toys. Some of whom he had actually locked in there. And uh, all this in the name of God, all this saying I'm a priest. And you're, you're thinking, well, you know what? I never even heard you mention the Lord. Uh, you know, I never heard you talk about it. And now I, I, it just, you know, it kills you when that happens. And so the reality is, is we can't always be so sure, you know. They did not honor God in his ways concerning how they offered sacrifice. In verses 13 through 17, we see they abused that. And, and so they had no respect for God. They had no honor for God, no desire to follow God. And, and it's an, a scary, horrible thing when that happens. And uh, so what occurs, if you look over at chapter, uh, um, chapter 2, verse 23, look what it says here. It says this. It says, Eli's trying to get their attention. And Eli says, why do you do such things? The evil things I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. He said, I, I just want you to know this isn't good. And people are talking about what you're doing. People are seeing it. And, 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 and you just, why would you act like this? Now, clearly, he should have taken a stronger view. Clearly, he should have re removed them from the priesthood. Clearly, he should have said, I don't care if you're my own children. I can't let this go on. But, but Eli doesn't do it. But here's why we've got to get into this tonight, and we'll pick it up next week. Samuel has been handed over as a young child into this kind of an environment. And, and he was born in a miraculous way, but he was put into an environment where God wasn't being honored and, and, and God wasn't being exalted and the leaders didn't even know him. And then look at verse 25. It says this, If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now, I don't know about you. I underlined that. Whenever I underline in purple in my Bible, it means it's bad news. And uh, that's got a huge purple underline. God looked at them and said, you know what? I'm not going to let you go. After what you've done, you know, the Bible's clear. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. He says, whatever a man sows, he reaps. You've been this dishonoring to me. I am just not going to let you off. Now, now what I want to point out to you is it's not because they could not repent. 
It's because they would not repent. God very often reaches a place with people where he says he literally takes them and turns them over to their own demise. He says, you don't want to be with me. You don't want to love me. I'm going to turn you over to your own demise. He does that with people and he does it with societies. Listen as I end tonight. I want to read Romans chapter 1 verses 26 to 32. It says, because people had chosen a life of ungodliness, people had chosen a life of immorality, it says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, lesbianism. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, although they did not know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things, or excuse me, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Uh, the word hearty approval, you probably know, it's the Greek word for loud applause. It's a standing ovation. And God says, because people were so into those things, he's turned them over to it. He said, if you already thought you're bad, I'm going to let it be magnified. I'm going to let it grow. I'm going to let you now start embracing things that just years before no one would agree to. Uh, I mentioned it this morning, but it was disheartening. In Time Magazine, they had a, a, a two-page uh, story on what's called the purity ball. And, and there's groups of fathers going around the country saying, gather your daughters together and, and have an incredible dance with them. And you as a father, you know what you do? You commit to a pure lifestyle. No pornography. Uh, no, you'll be faithful to your wife. You're going to be the kind of example to your daughter you need to be. And then you call for your daughter to make it a commitment to purity. And uh, it was amazing how the intellectuals began to attack the fathers for being horrible fathers for calling their daughters to purity and agreeing to live lifestyles that mean something. And, and they, they actually, the, the word in time, I'll never forget this line, they go, purity has now become a dirty word. You don't catch that God has turned our society over to itself and said, all right, you don't want me? You, you can't even understand the value of purity. You can't understand the idea of living a pure life. And I'm just going to turn you over to it. I'm going to let you go. And you're just going to start exalting degrading things and vile things. And you're going to cheer for it. And you're going to have whole movies about it. And when it's over, people are going to give Oscars to it. And you're going to applaud all these things. And uh, you know what? Is, is we live in a time like this right now. I, I think you can't look very far and not see that in our nation, in our state, in our area, we've begun to applaud things that God looks at and says it's horrible. He said, you just keep going, keep going. But here's the point that I want to grab. Samuel was born into this. Samuel would stand out in a time like this. Samuel, Samuel would be an agent for change. And, and I believe that we need to look at him and say, God, you work that way today. You can cause us to be agents for change. You could cause us to make a difference. And we don't have to let the world push us into its mold. We can be different people. But if we're going to do it, we have to be the opposite of, of the sons of Eli. We have to be the opposite. Now, what does that mean? We have to be people that live lives that have value and worth, not worthlessness. We have to be people who genuinely know the Lord and genuinely seek to honor the Lord because these were men who lived worthless lives that did not know God and they never sought to honor him. As a matter of fact, they just did things their own way. And uh, again, if you were not here with us in the morning, 2 Corinthians, Paul said this. Paul said, I want to tell you something. We never preach ourselves. But you know what we always preach? Christ Jesus as Lord and we're his bond servants. And, and that's what Samuel would end up saying. The Lord is the Lord and I'm his servant. And he would live like that and amazing things would occur. He would hear the voice of God. He would move a nation. He would lead in a powerful way. He would be an instrument that God could use to do amazing things that he had been prepared for since the beginning of time. And that message, by the way, isn't just for Samuel. It's for you. It's for you. God looks at you and says, I, I want you to be someone who stands out. I want you to be someone who shines as a light. I want you to be someone who makes a difference. That's God's great desire for you. 
And I hope you tonight could say, man, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to live life like that with God. And I want to be a person whose life is significant and effective and successful because I'm doing it according to God's plan for me. Now tonight, if you can't say that's true of you, if you can't say, you know what, I call to God and I know he hears me. I, I've asked for answered prayers and I've gotten them. I, I, I see God teaching me. And I see myself wanting to honor him. And I, I, I have him leading and guiding me. If you can't say that's happening, then I want you to know he wants it to happen to you. Just like Charles Spurgeon said. He, Spurgeon says you read the Bible and you look at your life and you go, I see this occurring. So if you don't see it occurring, what I want to ask you to do right now is to do something that, that I think you really, really, really need to do. You need to say, okay, God, I, I want it. I, I don't care what it takes. I want to follow you. I don't care what it takes. I want to be yours completely. And for some of you, this could be your very first time to say that to God. For others of you, it could be a recommitment to him. But, but if you tonight need to be in an intimate relationship with the Lord that's real, I'm going to ask you in a moment to pray a prayer with me where you do that. Let's pray. Father, I know that as we study the amazing people of Scripture, the Jephthahs, the Thomases, the Joshuas, uh, the Enochs. And even, Lord, I get so excited about Samuel. As we study Samuel, it's meant to be not just their story, but our story. And not just how they experienced you, but, but it's, it'd be keys in how we experience you. And it's amazing that he was born out of amazing faith of his mother, Hannah. And he was stuck in a faithless environment. And yet he would choose faith and he would choose to make a difference. Father, I know we walk out of these doors into a very faithless environment. A world that doesn't know you, a world that applauds the wrong things. But God, we don't want to give up on them. We want to seek to win people to you. We want to seek to make a difference. And I pray that as a church family we do that. I pray as individuals we do it. So God, I pray that you're just going to move and use us. And Lord, tonight, I pray that there would be some people who would be moved tonight to you. I ask, oh Lord God, that your Holy Spirit come up in this room. That you move in this place. And if there's someone here who needs to commit their life to you, or recommit their life to you, that right now, right where they're sitting, they'd be ready to do that. They would feel you stirring and touching. They would know that, the, that tonight's the night where they are going to see you draw them close and it's never going to be the same. So Lord, I pray you'd touch anybody now, a guy or a girl here who needs this. May they really want to commit themselves to you. Right now, I want to ask that we keep praying, but tonight, if you would like to either commit your life to the Lord or recommit your life to him, I'm going to ask you to do something right where you're sitting. I'm going to ask you to whisper a prayer with me. And what you're going to be saying is, I want this life. I want to be yours. And tonight, if you desire this intimate relationship with the Lord, right where you're sitting, just whisper this prayer. Let's pray these words together. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And you love me so much, you died on the cross forgive me of my sins to cleanse me and set me free to make me new and alive so I open my heart to you and I ask that you fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me to grow closer and closer to you to know you better and better and help me be who you created me to be to live the life that you have for me to live. I'm yours. And I'm ready for this. And I can't wait to live life with you and for you. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.